welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. So as we come to the, the grand finale of the, of the, of the series this week, um, I want to look at our greatest hope. We've talked about a lot of things that we can trust the Bible. We can trust every word in it. It doesn't just contain truth, but that it is the truth of, word, of the Word of God. We've looked at the fact that we have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, He gave us this great gift that we can't earn called salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And He has given us this, this blessed hope. Now, here's this blessed hope that we look at today. We're going to be talking about probably the greatest hope that we have, and that is the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. That Jesus not only died for our sins, he not only came, he not only left heaven and came to earth, was born as a baby, was crucified on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, but he also made this other promise that when I go, I will come back for you. I will return and I will set up my kingdom and it will be perfect. And you will, if you are a believer in Christ, you will be part of that. So if you would look this morning at Matthew 24, we're going to read all the way from verse number 3 down to verse 44. We're going to skip a few verses just for sake, of, uh, for sake of time and come back to them as we get into the text. But look at beginning in verse number 3, uh, here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, while he was sitting, speaking of Jesus, while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us when these things will happen. Jesus had been talking to them about the end of days and about how everything was going to begin to wind down and about how when the kingdom of God was going to be set up. Because as the Messiah, that's what as Old Testament Jews had been trained, they had been trained to look for the Messiah who would set up God's perfect kingdom. Not the broken kingdom that they had been used to because it had been messed up by sin. But how will God do this? And he says, tell us when these things will happen. And then, he says, then they say something very Jewish. They say, what is the sign of your coming? What is the sign of your coming? Because in the Jewish days, in the Old Testament days, the Jews were trained to look for signs based on the prophecy that God had given. And so what they said is, what are the signs? What are the, what are the key markers that I can know that we're getting ready to get into this time that you've promised? He said, what's the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus replied to them, and he said, watch out that no one deceives you. So he doesn't give them a direct answer. He says, just watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many people. And Jesus says, and you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet, or it won't be at that time yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be labor, or there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these events are the beginning of labor pains. When they will hand you over to be persecuted, they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up, and they will deceive a great many. Because of lawlessness multiplying, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm one of the disciples and I'm saying, show me the signs and the times, I'm thinking, man, I don't want to know about this. This is gruesome. This is pretty grim, right? Let's go down to verse number 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. 
and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Let's look at that again, church. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and with great glory. There's the promise. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And then he moves on in verse number 32 and says, Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you will know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things, recognize that he is near. He is at the door. Truly, I tell you, this, con- this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, concerning that day and the hour, no one knows. No one knows when this is going to take place. So he finally, like 33 verses later, finally gets around to answering the question that the disciples were actually asking. He's like, when are you going to come back? When are you going to set up the kingdom? He says, no one knows. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for that answer. We appreciate that, right? Then he says, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone knows the hour. So what are we supposed to do with that? Well, in verse number 42, it says this, Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was going to show up, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The promise of the return of Christ is clear. The time of the return of Christ is not clear. But the promise is just as sure as if it's already happened. Because when God makes a promise, he doesn't fail on keeping his word. Jesus promised his disciples, he's promised us, I am going to return for you, church. I'm going to return for you, and I'm going to take you to be with me forever. That's the promise that we're looking at. And this is one of the things that separates Christianity from all other, from all other isms and religions, is that our Savior, our God, is going to personally return to gather us and take us home with him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak to us now from your word this morning. I pray this morning as your messenger. That you, will just, that you will just seize my words. And I pray that you will speak, Holy Spirit, loud and clear. Thank you for your presence already this morning in the service, Lord. I pray this morning that it would continue and that you would humble us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, and that you would purify us uh, in this time that we look into your word. Feed us now, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. How many of you, uh, how many of you like, uh, like hero stories, whether it's a book or a movie or, or, or whatever? Anybody of you like you? All right, I'm, I might be speaking to the wrong crowd. Uh, anybody, excited? anybody excited that Comic-Con is, is in town, like today's the last day? All right, Noel and I, my, my youngest, we're actually after church today. We're spending the rest of the afternoon uh, down there at Comic-Con. My wife likes to call it Nerd Fest. That's how she loves us. But that's all right. We're good with that, right? But no, seriously, how many of you like, like, like hero stories? You like, like this, the superheroes, Marvel, you read the comic books, or maybe you just like novels with, the, with a hero in it, right? Um, I like them. We all love them. We're trained to love a hero story, aren't we? Because a hero story, we know, we know what it is, right? The hero shows up to save the day all the time, right? Where's the Marvel books or the Marvel movies, Star Wars. Go ahead real quick. Shout out your favorite hero. Who's your favorite hero? One, two, three. I didn't hear Pastor Chris in any of those. I don't know what happened there. 
right? Yeah, right? Tell me if you've seen this movie before or if you've read this book before, all right? You have a universe or a country or a damsel or some people, a city, whatever it may be, that's in great distress, right? There's maybe somebody from another universe or an alien civilization or an evil empire or an evil villain that's seeking to wreak havoc and destroy or kill or kidnap. And everything seems hopeless until what happens? Until the hero shows up. When the hero shows up, everything looks good. But until then, nobody has any idea what's going to happen. All they know is evil's going to win. They have no answers. And like I said, the great, the great philosopher of our time, Mariah Carey, says, and then a hero comes along <laughs> with the strength to carry on. And they cast their fears aside, and they know they can survive, Right? What happens just about every time that the hero comes in that hero story, what happens? There's always this final confrontation or this final battle when everybody's like rallying behind the hero and says, yeah, we're going to go into battle. We're going to finally defeat the villain and his villainous horde. And what happens in that final battle? Every single time. Always happens. The villain just rises up with some crazy strength and it looks like he's going to win. And and somehow the hero either gets injured or gets cast into another universe or through another time portal or whatever. You're thinking, oh no. The hero's gone. We've lost hope. But then what happens in every single hero story? All of a sudden, when you think everything is about to fall away, the hero comes back. The hero comes back and puts everything right and sets everything in order, right? And everything is set the way that it needs to be. And it's almost so predictable now because it's a tale as old as time now, right? We're familiar with this. And so if you're watching these movies or you're reading the story, it's not a question of is the hero going to win? It's just a question of how's he going to do it this time? Or when is he going to come in and when is he going to set everything right? It's very rare, very rare that you see the hero actually falls, right? And usually when he does fall, when they roll the credits, there's a sequel that's coming out to where he will eventually rise up again, right? But that's the hero story that we're all used to right now. That, that's, that's always the way it's going to be. It's not a question of, is he going to pull it off? It's, how is he going to pull it off? You already watch it knowing that the good guy is going to win. And what we see in our text today is Jesus is really telling us his own personal hero story. He's already telling us, look, it's going to get rough for a while. It's going to seem like the villain is winning. It's going to seem like you're down and out. It's going to seem like all the things that I've promised you up until now are not coming true. But I promise you this one thing. The hero's coming back. The hero's coming back to save the day. The hero is coming back to set things right. And he will be our hero, right? In this, in this story that Jesus is telling us, you have all the same elements as this text. In this text, you would have any, any hero movie, any hero story. The only thing different about this story, church, that we have to understand is we're not just watching it from afar. We're not sitting in a movie theater in a comfortable seat with our hands greasy with popcorn butter. We're living in this hero story. This is real life. This is, this is a real thing. And if that's the case, it requires a real faith. We can't just be bystanders to this. We have to invest in this, and we have to live by faith in the promise that our hero has made. And that's a whole lot different. That's a whole lot different than just observing it, paying your 10 or 15 bucks to be entertained by it. No, because this is life and death to us. And that's what I think many times we don't realize. Sometimes church to us is part of that story. We can become bystanders to a story rather than living in the narrative. 
But church, I want to remind you this morning, we're living in this hero story. We're living in this story that Jesus has said, I will come again. In our text, Jesus says what's going to happen. He already tells us how the story is going to end, but it hasn't ended just yet. So through all of this, ever since Jesus ascended back to heaven, we've been waiting for his return. We've been waiting for two millennia now. We've been waiting for over 2,000 years. And that's led to centuries of speculation on how it's going to happen and what are the finer details about it. And we get all wrapped up into the finer details and, and all that type of stuff. And Scripture gives us a great deal of information about the end times. And so we want to talk about eschatology. We can get into all kinds of stuff. But what I want us to focus on today is Jesus is coming back. And so to solidify that, I just want you to turn to somebody and look at them and say, look, Jesus is coming back. So whatever, whatever happens, Jesus is coming back. And I believe that the return of Christ is the most hopeful doctrine that we have in the church. We have the greatest message in the gospel. We also have the greatest promise in the return of Christ. Paul told Titus this in the book of Titus. He says, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if we're not careful, we can trade in that great promise and get lost in the weeds of how all the promise is going to come to, come to grips and come to play. Tell me if you've ever heard these words. Pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-post-millennial. Not the generation, I'm talking about the reign of Christ. Dispensational, non-dispensational. Any of you heard these words before? Right? It seems like everybody, when it comes to eschatology, when it comes to the end times, we all talk, we're all wrapped up in our pronouns today in our society, but everybody gets wrapped up when it comes to the end times, gets wrapped up in the prefixes. Uh, of what describes how they believe. And, and church, let me say this. I'm not pre, post, mid, any of that, all millennial, any of that anymore. I'm pan-trib. I'm family. You know what that means? It's going to pan out. <laughs> it's going to pan out because God's in control of it. Okay? And see, this is what I think. I think sometimes as the church who has this great promise that Jesus is going to return, we bury the lead. We get all wrapped up in how it's going to happen that we lose our excitement over the fact that it is going to happen. And we, and, we, and we get buried up over trying to figure out how it's going to happen, that we, we, get, we get bogged down in all the day-to-day and forget the promise that it is going to happen. And I appreciate the doctrinal statements that we've been looking at in this time that we're worshiping together and the two different doctrinal statements of, of the church, Graceway and, and Living Hope. And here's, they're on the screen. I just want you to see the doctrine. Oh, here's the big idea. Sorry, before that. The big idea of the sermon today is that the return of Christ is an imminent promise that we must trust and we must never ignore. That's basically the sermon in a line today. That the return of Christ is an imminent promise that we must trust and we must never ignore. Because here's what I know, is the two churches that are represented in here today, we believe that promise right there. Here's what, here's what Living Hope uh, says in their doctrinal statement. That Jesus is coming again at God's appropriate time to set up his perfect kingdom on earth. I'm sorry, that's what Graceway says. Here's what Living Hope says. Jesus will return again to establish his kingdom. I like how... Living hope is a lot more succinct than Graceway. You know why? Pastor Chris doesn't talk near as long as I do. Right? He can say things faster than I can do. But see, as the church, as the church, we have to make sure we don't bury the lead when we're talking to people out here who have no hope. Don't bury the lead in the fact that, well, there's a lot of people who disagree over how it's going to happen. Let's just hone in on the fact that it is going to happen. It's going to happen, and it's a promise that is so sure as if it's already happened. That's how sure we can be in that. This is what comes, this is what fuels what Paul said in Romans when he says, we are more than conquerors 
through famine, through sickness, through distress, through peril, through nakedness, through sword, through all of those things, through all of that, we have this promise that we are more than conquerors. Why? Because Jesus is going to return, and he's going to set it right. So I want to look this morning at this. The return of Christ is an imminent promise that we have to trust by faith and that we cannot ignore. So let's look at that first part of that statement. First of all, is that Christ's return is a promise. Christ's return is a promise. He's made this promise to us. In our text, it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's when Jesus sits down and he begins to teach his disciples about some things that are going to take place and is going to happen. It's recorded in a couple of different places. If you're familiar with what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he says, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, he's going to go build a mansion and all that's in he's going to return. That's part of the Olivet Discourse as well. But in verse 3, the disciples say, they come to him and they say, can you give us a sign about when all of this is going to happen? And can you give us some like, you know, can you give us some clues as to what it's going to look like when it happens? And Jesus is like, okay, sure, I'll give you those. You don't, you're not going to like them. They're not pretty. And he begins to talk about how the world is just going to get crazy and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and there's going to be, there's going to be cataclysmic events and people are going to lose love for one another and people are going to grow cold and it's just going to be a difficult place to live. And you as a Christians are going to find persecution on a daily basis because the world is going to just be turning in on itself and definitely turning in on the children of God. And he says, when that happens, take heart because you know that my presence or my return is drawing near. But see, the rest of, and so the disciples wanted this sign. They wanted to kind of be ahead of the curve. See, they were, I, I think they were all Boy Scouts. I think they were always prepared. They always wanted to be prepared, so they always wanted to know when things were going to come. Chapters 24 and 25 are really one long explanation of this great promise that Jesus will return because this promise wasn't just something that Jesus made. This is a promise that has existed ever since sin because this promise that God would set up his perfect kingdom after his early kingdom was broken in Eden was made all the way back in Genesis. It began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It was a promise that was foretold by the prophets all the way throughout Scripture. All the way back in the Old Testament, God began to give an illusion or give clues to the fact that one day God is going to return and set up a perfect kingdom. In the Old Testament, we see it mentioned as something called the Day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord was something that Old Testament Jewish people and the disciples would have known about and they would have studied about in Torah school and they would have heard about from their grandmas and their grandpas. And that day of the Lord was a time when God would ultimately purge, purge Israel of all of its wickedness and he would punish all of Israel's enemies and it would set Israel up as like the leading nation in all the earth. But all of these prophets begin to tell about the coming of the Lord or the coming day of the Lord, the coming day of judgment. Isaiah said, talked about it in chapter 13 and in many other places in the book of Isaiah. Joel in chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, and Amos, thanks to the Reba brothers, Joel and Amos, both <laughs> talked about it, right? Malachi talks about the return of God. Ezra talks about the day and the return of God when he's going to set this kingdom up. See, many of the prophets who dealt with the subject of the coming of the day of the Lord, it init was initiated by this victorious arrival of the Messiah. Every one of them talked about it. And see, Christ's return is going to bring what all of the Old Testament prophets have declared, but what it's also going to bring for the church, the Gentiles, in the church age, is it's going to bring a place where we, it's going to bring a time we finally get to go home, and we're set up in heaven forever, and we begin to rule and reign with Christ. And we don't have the famine and the peril and the nakedness and the sickness and the wars and the rumors of wars or anything like that anymore. We don't have temptation for sin because Satan will be defeated. That's the promise that we have when the day of the Lord appears. 
So it's a promise that was foretold by the prophets, but it was also a promise that was predicted and declared by Jesus. Jesus makes this promise all the way through our text. Verse 27 says, As the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, not only am I going to keep my promise, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a beautiful global fireworks show when it happens. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds, and everyone's going to know the king has arrived. In verse 30 and 31, it says, The Son of Man will appear in the sky, or the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the people of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. No one will be able to deny that Jesus is Lord when this happens, church. No one. It says he's going to send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one part of the sky to the other. And that means that's a kind of a poetic expression of the fact that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to forget anyone that needs to go with him. He makes this promise in other parts of scriptures too. Throughout the gospel of Mark, Jesus is recording is making the same promises. In John 14, like I was telling you, he said to his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, then you can believe also in me. In my, my father's house are many mansions, and if it weren't so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, what does he say? I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. This is the promise that Jesus doesn't just make to his disciples on all of its hill. He makes it to every one of us, all the ones sitting in this room today. This is the same promise that he's made to us. In Revelation 22, he says three times in about the span of five verses, he says, look, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. So these are just a few of the times through Scripture that Jesus promised, I'm coming back. Not only did the prophets declare it, not only did Jesus promise it, but the angels professed it and they declared it as well. Over in the book of Acts, when Jesus ascends into heaven, and it was after his resurrection, he ascended back into heaven and his disciples were left and he had delivered them the great commission to go and preach the gospel to all the world, right? The Bible says that they're standing there, paints this picture that they're standing in. Anybody, everybody, anybody ever let a balloon go up in the air? What do you do? I mean, locked in, the whole world ceases to exist except for that balloon until it disappears into the sky, right? That's exactly what the disciples are doing, watching Jesus go up into heaven. No, I, I still think I see him. Oh, wait, no, no, that's the space station. No that's, no, that's Jesus, right? The angels finally say, hey, guys, hey, hey, remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said? And he says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? He says this, he says, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So the angels also reiterate and echo this promise as well. So we have prophets, we have it from the mouth of Jesus as well. We have it from the mouth of the angels and then we also have it from the mouth of the apostles. It was taught by the apostles as well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the return of Christ in all of the gospels. Luke records the proclamation of the angels from the book of Acts. Paul teaches on the return of Christ in his letters to Corinth and Thessalonica. He rejoices in the hope of Christ's return in the book of Romans and Colossians and Titus and Philippians and Ephesians and Galatians and all the rest. This promise was what fueled the early church fathers. This promise is what fueled the early church to turn the world upside down for Christ. I think sometimes, though, as we live in this day and age, 2023... The return of Christ is something that we like, yeah, we, we know we promised it, but man, it's been a long time since the promise. And so we think maybe I should just focus on other things. 
because I don't know if I'm going to see the return of Christ take place. James reminds us that the return of Christ should fuel our love for one another. Peter encourages the church to remain faithful to the promise and the return of Christ. Jude, in the little book of Jude, it's only like 24 verses long, he declares the promise of Christ's return. In all of the general letters, John talks about the return of Christ. Jude, and this book called Revelation just alludes to the return of Christ just a little bit. All the way through the New Testament, in every page of the New Testament, in every passage in the New Testament, you see this promise. Jesus is coming soon. The point is this. This entire book is full of promises of God. And one of the greatest promises here is that Jesus is coming back. And church, that should excite us. The promise of the return of Christ should fuel everything we do. It should fuel our evangelism. It should fuel our missions. It should fuel our worship. It should fuel our Bible studies and our fellowship with one another. It should fuel our concern for the lost. It should fuel everything. Because not only is Christ's Christ's return promised, it's also imminent. It's an imminent promise, right? The thing about a promise of Jesus, when Jesus makes a promise, it's going to happen. That's what we talked about with the kids, right? When God makes a promise, it's going to happen because nothing stands in the way of Christ. There's nothing that anyone, heaven or hell, can throw at Jesus to stop his plan. Satan may try to delay it. Satan may try to do anything he can. And trust me, he's trying, but he knows he's going to fail. When God makes a promise, it's going to happen. So we say that Jesus' return is imminent. What does that mean? It means that it could happen at any time. That it could happen at any time. See, we often declare that something is imminent when we say, well, it's bound to happen at some point. Anybody ever said that one? Right? We always say it in the, in, the, in, the, in the past tense, right? Well, it was bound to happen. Right? You get a nail in your tire, and you're like, nah, I can keep on driving, and all of a sudden it goes flat. I don't know why that happened. Well, because you had a nail in your tire. It was bound to happen. Or, have you ever said this? I, I know I got to do something. I can't stop it from happening. And we always say, I got this hanging over my head. Right? Here's the deal. The return of Christ is bound to happen. You can't stop it. And it is hanging over our head. And that ain't a bad thing. That's not a drudgery. That is a good thing. That it is hanging over our head. I'll tell you who it's a bad thing for. It's for Satan. It is constantly hanging over his head. That one day, my fun's over. One day, my fun is over. See, this is the kind of approach we have to have to Christ's return. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's only a matter of when. And this isn't just something that we believe today. This has been a traditional belief from the apostles all the way through church history. And what I love about this is no matter how many times people disagree on pre-trib, post-trib, and all their different ideas about eschatology and how it's all going to pan out, they all agree on this, is that it's going to happen. That's what unites us, is that Jesus is coming back. And you know what? I got my ideas on how it might happen, but I'm telling you, if it happens completely different than the way it does, I'm not going to be up in heaven saying, you know what, take me back. (laughs) This ain't the way I expected it to happen. That's a problem. (laughs) Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said that right now he is up in heaven preparing a place for us in John 14. And when he's done, he's coming back. So when somebody asks you, when is Jesus coming back? When he's good and ready. When he's good and ready. In our text, we see a few things that we need to understand about just how imminent, just how, just how, how, like, it could happen at any time, it really is. Look at verse number 36. It says, concerning that day and the hour that I come back, nobody knows. He's like, Jesus was telling his disciples at that point, he says, I don't even know. 
And I'm God. I'm the Son of God. I don't even know right now. In his humanity, he didn't know. Over in Revelation 22, Jesus repeats three times, look, I'm coming soon. In Matthew 24, verse 44, he says, this is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Don't live your life wondering if he's coming back. Live your life preparing for when he does. Working as though he is and could today. So not only do we know he's coming, we know he's coming soon. We just don't know how soon. And that's where a lot of us get hung up, isn't it? This is where a lot of us find our struggles in our faith. Because we look at God's promises and we think, man, I know he's promised it, but man, I haven't seen any evidence that it's going to take place. I know God promised this, but I haven't seen any examples or anything, any carrots in front of me to keep me going. Look, just about every disciple of Jesus' day expected Jesus to come back before they died. Every generation of, ch of the church that has lived before us has thought that they were living in the last days. We think that we're living in the last days. And up until now, we'll see what happens, but everybody's been wrong up until now, right? But that's okay. This glorious anticipation of the fact that he's going to come is what keeps us moving ahead and keeps us in a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. So there's two points of research, two things that we need to know. It's a promise that has been made by many people, and it is an imminent promise. Let's look at the last two things today, and these are the points of application. So because it's imminent and because it's promised by God, it can be trusted. The promise of Christ's return can be trusted. In the very beginning of Christ's response to the disciples' question, Jesus says, don't be deceived by false messiahs and, making, and people that are making false promises. The very first thing he says before he gives them the answer, he says, look, don't be deceived. There's going to be a lot of people that come to claim that I'm not who I said I was simply because I haven't come back when you wanted me to. So in that time of waiting, don't lose focus. Don't lose sight in me. The promise is still secure because the promise is me. Why do you think he says that? Why do you think he says false messiahs will come along? Because he knows that there's going to be a million and one opportunities to veer our focus from Jesus to other things. He knows that when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to faith, we all suffer from ADD. We all suffer from it. Matthew 24, verse 35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away again, but my words will never pass away. Church, we have to, we have to sink that into our soul. We have to sink that into our spirit because every day we live in a culture that moves far, further and further and further away from God, this truth is going to be challenged. We're going to be faced with, was Jesus right or is this new way or is would the way things are going the right way? We have to trust his words will never pass away. And here's the thing, because Christ made the promise, it's imminent. And because Christ made the promise, it can be trusted and it has to be trusted. See, this is where we see the real part, right? Remember when we looked, talked about the heroes and the movies and stuff and how it's fun to watch? But we're living in this hero story. This is where faith becomes real, and this is where the rubber meets the road. The faith of Christ's return, the faith of Christ's reality, and the faith of his existence has to fuel us as we work. We see, we've seen that Jesus promised that one day he's going to return. We saw the evidence from the Old Testament. We saw all of those things. We saw the generations before us that have held this promise, but now the ball's in our court. And it's always been said this. All it takes for Christianity to cease to exist from the earth is for one generation to turn their eyes off of him. God, we have to pray that it's not our generation. 
We have to hold and cling to this promise and we have to trust it. Why? Because trusting is what fuels us. See, we're still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled and the ball is in our court and generations that come after us, if the Lord tarries, will only continue to believe if we pass the promise that Jesus left on. We have to trust the promise and trusting is what gives us hope. See, we're in the same place as the, as, the, as the very first fathers of the faith in the first century. We're trusting in a first century promise with 20th century hope or 21st century hope, right? That's what we're doing. We may be in the 21st century, but we're still trusting in a first century hope. And this trusting is what gives us confidence. Look at verse number 34 again. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things take place. Now, this is a tricky part of Scripture right here. This, this verse right here can hang us up, right? Because at first glance, you see this, and it's, Jesus says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. What does that look like? It looks like Jesus was saying, I'm coming back before this generation is done for. Well, if that's the case, dude, he is like really late. This isn't what Jesus was saying. Jesus was speaking of an unbelieving generation in that context. He wasn't telling the disciples there, look, your generation won't pass away before I come back. No, he was talking about the unbelieving generation. And ever since the, return, ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there has been an unbelieving generation. We still live in an unbelieving generation. And he says when Jesus comes back, there will still be people living that do not believe. And this is why he continues to tarry his coming. is so that generation of people can get smaller. Every day he waits is one more day of grace for somebody to trust him. So while we look at it and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, the lost, even though they don't know, they don't know it, their broken souls are saying, don't come, until, don't, don't come until I come to you, please. And as the church, that means we have to seize every opportunity we have because we know it's imminent. We know it could happen at any time. There's not one thing there's not one verse or promise of Scripture that would be violated if Jesus were to come back before this service was over. He could come at any moment. And some of you are thinking, God, let him come now because I don't want the service to keep going, right? No, this is what, <laughs> we've all been there before, all right? He could come at any time, at any time. The question is, do we live as though that's the case? All of us have bucket lists, right? Your perspective on life and what matters in life changes when you know how much life you have left to live, doesn't it? If you get a terminal illness and the doctor says you've only got this amount of time to live, all of a sudden things become really important, don't they? You become like Tim McGraw. You want to go skydiving. You want to go Rocky Mountain climbing. You want to find a bull named Fu Manchu and ride eight seconds. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm off today. Anyway, we have these bucket lists. Jesus says, live every day like it's the last for me, right? Every one of us, when we stand before God, are probably going to have things saying, man, I wish I'd spent more time reaching out to my friends with the gospel. I wish I'd spent, I said this a couple weeks ago, right? I doubt when we get to heaven that we're going to be standing before God saying, man, I wish that I had just binge watched a few more seasons on Netflix. No, we're going to be wishing we'd spent more time in the Word. And growing closer to Jesus. All the things that we value so much, that's evidence of the fact 
of whether the return of Christ looms large in our eyes or not. So trusting is what gives us confidence in, as, what, as well. The Bible tells us this, that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody. The unbelieving generation will cease when Jesus appears in clouds of glory. The unbelieving generation will cease at that moment. But personally, we can, have that, we can, become, we can transfer out of that unbelieving generation the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the blessing of heaven and the blessing of eternity and the blessing of being in the victorious kingdom of God comes to those who see his glory and trust his glory before it's made sight. So it gives us confidence that one day he's returning and when he comes, I'm going to love it instead of be afraid of it. See, through the centuries, people have, have doubted whether Jesus' promise is actually true because it's taken so long. In Second Peter, Peter talks about that in verse number 3. He says, above all, beware of this, that scoffers and accusers are going to come in the last days, scoffing and, and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? And there's a lot of people today, <laughs> there's a lot of people today I, still, I see on social media, and a lot of people that are doubting, even people who say, I used to be a Christian, who now say, this is a fairy tale. You're still trusting in this fairy tale? If he was going to do it, wouldn't he have already come by now, right? We see Peter talk about that thousands of years ago. He says this, where's this coming that he's promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook this fact in verse number eight. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord doesn't delay his promise as some understand delay, but he's patient with you, not winning anyone to perish. His delay is not a sign of his weakness. His delay is a sign of his mercy and grace. So as he delays his coming, and we look forward to it and say, Lord, just come now, right? The fact that he delays another day means he has gospel work that he still wants to do through us. Through us. See, Abraham's an ex excellent example of this. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's called the Hall of Faith. Everyone mentioned all the superheroes, or not all the super saints of the Bible are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And they did some amazing things for God, but they're not there because of what they did. They're there because of the faith that they placed in God. Abraham is a great example, man. All that guy was asked was to continually step out in faith. He'd take one step, and then God would take, tell him to take another one. He said, leave where you're at, where all your money and all your house and all your investments are laid, and I want you just to head out. And he says, where, God? Yeah, I ain't going to tell you. Just go. All right, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be better when you get there than if you, than if you stay. Like, All right, heads out, no GPS, no MapQuest, no Siri, nothing. He's like, all right, God says, all right, you're where I want you to be now, stop. And he stops, and then God shows up to him and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Yeah, it's going to number the, number the whole world, and, and the whole world will be saved through your line, the Abrahamic covenant. And Abraham says, that's great, let's get started. And God says, not for 24 more years. You're going to have a kid named Isaac. You're going to be in your 90s. So is your wife. Just hold on. <laughs> okay. The Bible says that he trusted him for 24 years as though he had already had it. And then what happens? Isaac comes and he's like, all right. All right, we've got to find Isaac. You know, he's probably thinking, man, I can't wait to get Isaac a wife and we can have this great family that this great, this great family is going to bless the entire, that bless all nations. And what does God say to him? Before Isaac is even married, what does he say? I want you to take Isaac up to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. At that moment, 
Abraham could have said, God, did you change your mind? But what does the Bible say he does? It says he follows him in faith, he takes him up there, and he says he trusted him that even if he had to go through with the sacrifice, God would resurrect him to keep his promise. And then here's the deal about Abraham. This great family and this great seed that's going to bless the whole world. Abraham never lived long enough to see it, but the Bible says he lived with the future in sight and trusted that the future was just as sure as if he was already living in it presently. This is the kind of faith we have to have, church, in the future promise that, let's be honest, maybe you and I may never see the return of Christ. We may never look up in the air and hear the trumpet and see it happen. But we know it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. We may be watching it from above rather than down below, but we know it's going to happen. Because our faith is fulfilled not by what God does, but by who God is. And he's one who keeps his promise. And so as we close out this morning, I know time is getting short, probably already over. Christ's promise is not one that can be trusted, not just one that can be trusted. Christ's promise is one that should never be ignored. We should never ignore the, the promise that God has made. See, if it's good for us to trust the promise of Christ's return, we have to be aware of just how tragic it is to ignore the promise. And there's so many people today that are ignoring the promise that Jesus is coming back because they've ignored the promise that Jesus is the Savior. See, this is what separates the lost from the saved. If we don't keep our eyes fixed on that blessed hope, what joy can really, we really have in this world? See, ignoring the promise will make us doubt his truth. It'll make us doubt his truth. If you, I can promise you this, even as a believer, if you get to the point where you take your eyes off the fact that Jesus is coming again, you begin to doubt whether that's going to happen, you'll begin to doubt other things about him too. The things he's already done. And that really messes with us. This is what separates the lost from the saved. And Jesus commanded us, church, to be mindful of his return. We see six commands that Jesus gives us. In verse number four, he says, watch out. When he says, don't fall under temptation of false messiahs who claim to be better than Christ or that Christ is not true. In verse number six, he says, don't be alarmed, right? Or what he's basically saying is stay focused. Jesus said, no matter how bad things may look or how dark they may seem, don't let that darkness distract you from the light of the promise of his return. Then he says, endure to the end. What it means is be patient. He encourages us to endure in our faith. And then in verse number 25, he says, take note of all the things that I've already promised you. Anybody use post-it notes? Or reminders on your phone because we're so prone to forget things that we need to remember. He's like, take note, post it, tattoo it, whatever you need to do. Don't forget this. I'm coming back. Then he says, be alert in verse number 42. Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is going to return. When everybody else is ignoring it, you stay alert. And then he says, be ready in verse 44. Don't get lazy. Don't get distracted or take today for granted because this might be the day. Always be alert. Then Jesus gives, two, Jesus gives an a historical example in Abraham, and he also gives a, like a philosophical example through a parable that he tells about ten women who uh, the, the groom promises to come, and only five of them kept, their, kept the oil in their lamps so that they could see him when he came, and five, the other five of them didn't pay any attention. But the one that really gets me is when he says, the homeowner, if he's truly alert and truly prepared, even though he doesn't know the day the thief is going to come, will always be prepared for when he does right? Always be prepared. We live in a neighborhood, love our neighborhood, but we have a problem with people who come by and just kind of like go through our cars. We've had it happen a couple of times, all right? We actually had it happen again this week, and it never fails. 
never fail. You say, well, just lock your door, dude. Yeah, that's what I say to myself every time I didn't. It seems like every time they come through, I don't know how many times they come through because they seem to get us like once every couple months. I don't know if it's because once every couple months, they, they're coming through every night maybe, and only once every couple months we forget to lock our doors or whatever. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice if the thief would just give us a heads up? Hey, uh, you know, just put a little note on the, on the, on the windshield wiper. He's like, hey, uh, your, your, your neighborhood, you know, car snatcher is coming through the neighborhood tomorrow at 10, at, from the hours of 10 p.m. and like 1 a.m. What am I going to do if I get a note like that? I'm going to lock my doors and probably call the police or sit out on the porch. I'm going to be. <laughs> okay. If I ever visit you, I just want to do it in a public place. <laughs> so here's the thing. If a thief tells us when he's going to come, he's no longer a thief. He's an unwanted guest. Jesus says, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Be prepared. Stop acting as though nothing is going to happen. I have promised you. I've left you. I'm, I've left you the promise. I'm coming. I'm just not telling you when. Just be aware. Church, that's where we have to rest in this promise. Not only be aware, but be encouraged by that. So as we get ready to pray this morning, I ask you this. Are you alert? Are you aware? Are you ready? And if you're not ready, let today be the day you're ready. As we get ready to, to worship here and have a time of response, if you need to come talk to Pastor Chris or myself or somebody else, say, hey, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know for sure if I'm saved. If Jesus were to come back today, I don't know for sure if I'd be ready for him. Let's take care of that today. And if you are saved, you say, man, you know what? I, I've just been kind of forgetting that. I've been kind of living too much down into, in here right now that I've taken my eyes off of heaven, taken my eyes off of that promise, and I've lost my joy. I've lost my zeal. I've lost my urgency in, in, in witnessing. But I need to get that back. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we pray and as we, as we wrap up today. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.